Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, and we'll pick up where we left off last time. And uh, again, you know, we're, we're coming out of a 21st century Granbury, Texas, America, and all the things going on in our life and what our family and, and day-to-day looks like. And so we, we have to, as we come to 1 Thessalonians today, we, we've got to take our minds and jump in our pretend time machine and uh, go back to this first century church. You'll remember that Paul and some of his friends established this church during one of his missionary journeys, that there was a great reception, as we're going to see today, to the gospel, even in the midst of Jewish persecution and Gentile difficulty. And then uh, after a while, they had to leave. And, um, and so now Paul is writing back to them, to encourage them to check on them. Remember, they sent Timothy to check on the Thessalonians, and he brought back a good report. And so Paul is responding to that with uh, joy and encouragement and thanksgiving as he writes back to the Thessalonians. But I say all that because this is a very different world than today, and, and I think we can glean we can glean perspective and helps that help us with the challenges of today. But, but before we think about application today, we, we have to go back and put ourselves in the sandals of these early Christians. This is a brand new church. Christianity is, is brand new. No one has a Bible. No one has, uh, you know, Paul N's Moody Handbook of Theology on their shelf. They don't have study Bibles. They don't even have a heritage. They, they can't go to one another and say, well, what did you do with your kids? Or what did you do with this situation? Because there's, there's, there's no uh, history of Christianity yet. It's brand new. And so with that in mind, as Paul's writing to them, some of these things are very elementary. Some of these things are very profound, and, uh, but, but it, it gives us a confidence that these, these basic tenets of Christianity are really the foundation of what we build upon in our faith, and they're good reminders that, um, that we need the Word of God and we need its counsel for the challenges of the day. Uh, look back at chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul and Silvanus, that's another word for, uh, for Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And right out of the canon of his, uh, his um, apostle pen here, verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God our Father. And just, again, as soon as he introduces himself, his heart, you can tell, is just bleeding with thankfulness and joy in the Lord because of the reception of the Thessalonians to the gospel. And even as they've had to leave now, he gets this report back from Timothy and hears that they're thriving in the Lord. You know what that's like, right? You got some some adult child that lives somewhere else. You got some family member, some friend that you poured into in the gospel, and you see that Facebook post, or you get that text from them, or you pick up the phone, old school. You actually call them on the phone and say, "Hey, what's going on?" And to hear that people that you've invested in for the gospel are doing well and are growing spiritually, does that not just bring joy to your heart like nothing else? And that's what that's what's going on here, um, as Paul uh, again uh, writes to the Thessalonians. So we're going to pick up where we left off last time, because what Paul's going to focus on in his thankfulness 
is, is the qualities that he sees in the Thessalonians as they have shared their faith with others. Again, remember, uh, it's not like the church is widespread. It's just, it's slowly spreading, uh, throughout what's today Turkey and then down across the sea over to Greece and to Rome. And then Paul's going to come back to Jerusalem in his missionary journeys. Um, so the gospel is spreading and Paul can't help himself but say, you know, you're really doing well in Christ in terms of the Christ-like qualities that you're showing. So let's remind ourselves of what those are, and then we'll look more closely at them. He says in verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Okay, And he goes on to address that. Now, where we left off was in chapter 2, as he's describing... Uh, the, the qualities here that they're demonstrating and, and really the, the qualities that they learned from Paul and Silas and Timothy as they watched them share the gospel amidst persecution. So let's, again, let's look at this section here. Chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst, amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, or with a pretext for greed, for God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. But even though as apostles we may have asserted our authority, but we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Verse 9, for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God, and you are our witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Uh, almost in a, in a, in a shotgun-like fashion there, Paul just spreads out this, this picture of qualities that uh, he was able, he and his companions were able to demonstrate to them as they brought them the gospel. He's going to say to the Thessalonians, you've become imitators of us, and he's thankful for that. Uh, But let's look closer at these qualities here. We're calling these just simply qualities of Christ-like caring. Uh, And we looked at uh, about half of these last time, so we'll pick up the second half and then move on into the chapter, okay? And again, I, I think these are instructive for us as we think about what does it mean to honor Christ as we share the gospel with other people, and particularly as we share the gospel to an increasingly hostile audience. Yes, even right here in Hood County. Um, so <laughs> when Jesus says in the parable, well done, good and faithful servant, you know that, remember that one? What does a good and faithful servant look like? 
And I think Paul gives us a bit of a description here. So let's look at some of these qualities. Number one, we see first a persistence in opposition, right? This is review. He says, uh, when we came to you, we were mistreated in Philippi. Chapter 2, verse 1, as you know, we have the boldness in our God to speak to you. Verse 2, the gospel of God, um, the gospel of God amidst much opposition. So if you got beat up and thrown in jail in Philippi, and then God worked to get you out of jail, would you go home and say, ah, oh, that's enough fun for one day, one trip? Or would you go on to the next town? And um, there, there's a, a, a persistence here, a fortitude. Um, there's a, a quality of sticking at it even when things get hard. Endurance, persistence. And uh, I think that we will need that more and more as time goes on, even in our own country. Uh, Will we uh, shy away when things don't go well or when there's retaliation at some level? Or will we stay persistent in the gospel? And and, and by the way, notice with me, um, this is not Paul saying, you can't treat us like this and I'm going to go hire a lawyer. I mean, right, that's kind of the American way. Um, this is not like that. This is, I'm going to go on to the next city. I'm going to share the gospel until they kick me out. Then I'm going to do it again. And that's, that's the picture, I think, of, of persistence here. Number two, bold in God, right? We see that. He says, uh, he says, you know, we have the boldness in our God to speak to you in the gospel amidst much opposition. What's the difference between boldness in God and boldness in yourself? What's the difference? Yeah, pride, right? Usually boldness in self is is a pride thing. Boldness in God. I I would suggest to you that that one of the differences is it's a quiet boldness. It's not a brash boldness. It's not a reckless boldness. It's it's not a, uh, I'm going to bulldoze over people in Jesus' name boldness. It's a faithful, quiet persistent sharing of the gospel, even when it's not received well. So a boldness in God, I think we know a boldness in God when we see faithfulness to do what God's called us to do without the infiltration of sinful elements that are so easy to do. You know, you know what it's like. When, when you feel like you're on the defense, what do you get, what do you get like? Loud? Loud? <laughs> Aggressive? Yeah, right. Do we all do that? Right? We, we, when we're on the defensive, it's really hard to honor Jesus. And that's why I think that this little phrase, boldness in God, that's a good little phrase to grab onto. Because what we're going to see is not brash, it's not overbearing, it's not loud, it's not offensive, it's not aggressive, it, it's not uh, bulldozing over people. He's going to say in a few verses, uh, you know what the picture was? Nursing mom. And nursing moms typically are not aggressive and brash and overbearing and whatnot, right? So um, anyway, that's a picture. Number three, speaking the gospel. We see him faithful to speak the gospel in amidst much opposition. Uh, Christianity is a speaking religion, meaning uh, our goal is not merely to live exemplary lives, although we want to do that. Our goal is to share a message and call other people to believe that message. And so we have to learn to speak. 
It's one thing to stand in the day of trouble. It's another thing to speak in the day of trouble. And so we have to do both, as God would call us to be faithful. Number four, truthful and honest. We talked about this. It is so easy when you know people don't like what you're going to say, when they're even pushing back a little bit, you're getting a little defensive. It is so easy to get out your spiritual eraser and start erasing the hard corners of the message of the gospel, isn't it? Make it a little more palatable. We're not going to talk about hell and judgment. We're not, not going to talk about, you know, God's, God's going to take away all your problems. Instant sanctification, right? You trust Jesus and boom, you're healthy and wealthy and, right? That's not the message at all. At least not, not in this church, it's not. Some churches, uh, maybe south of us, that maybe get into that a little bit, but not this church, not faithful churches, right? It's, it's a gospel that Jesus said, what? If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Paul said in, uh, to, to Timothy, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we stand to be faithful, and uh, but not just that. We, we're, we're aiming here um, to be honest and truthful and, and not dilute our message or alter our message just because it isn't being received. Uh, guys, there, there are hard edges to the gospel. And those hard edges will cut people at times. But that, that part of the message is necessary for them to be truly receptive to what we call the good news. Um, so let's, let's not, in temptation, let's not change the message to make it more palatable. And just a footnote on that, that doesn't mean we take the most offensive parts of the message and lead with that, you know, and t-shirts about wrath and hell and judgment. We don't need to go that way either. You know how to be balanced? Just teach them the next verse. You know, maybe you're ministering to somebody, you're going through Romans or Ephesians. Don't avoid the parts about predestination. Talk about it. Don't avoid the parts about wrath. Talk about it. But go to the next verse. Don't make that your hobby horse, right? Just We can be balanced Christians by simply not focusing on one, any one particular verse, but just letting the text speak for itself. The Bible is incredibly balanced in that way and, and will avoid the, the extremes of imbalanced theology simply by going to the next verse and being faithful in that. Okay, pleasing God, not men. You see where this goes, right? Opposition, struggle, people don't like what we're saying. We're tempted to abbreviate the message or change the message. We're tempted to um, seek to please men instead of God. He says there, but uh, verse 4, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. That's the key. That's the key. Um. You want to be a God-pleaser, not a man-pleaser. You remind yourself every day that we live, what, coram deo, right, in the face of God. And that he examines our hearts, that what Solomon told his boys when they were young, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. And, um, and like David said in our psalm, if God is for us, what do we have to lose? Well, they may not like me. You remember, you remember when we were kids 
and, and some of you that, that play football with us, um, you know, Wyatt and, and uh, Titus, some of you guys, you guys know this. Remember, we, we picked team captains, right? You have two team, team captains, you're sitting there, and, and you've already got, you already got in mind which team you want to be on. You want to be on his team and not his team, right? Because everybody has their friends, right? You're waiting to get called on and all that. And, you know, it's like saying, if God calls you to be on his team, why are you worried about the other team? You know, why are you worried about the, the, the negativity, the, the opinion, the feedback uh, that the world might give? Now, I say that just as easily as you might say that, and we know that that's a very hard thing to do, isn't it? So we have to fix our eyes on the one that walks with us and is examining our hearts. Number six, avoiding flattery. Again, these are temptations. When we talk to people about the gospel, we, we can alter the message and not be truthful. We can seek to please them instead of pleasing God. We can offer flattery. We can kind of butter them up. We can say a, a bunch of over-the-top compliments and encouragements. And we, we ought to compliment people. We ought to encourage. But flattery, flattery moves beyond the realm of honesty. And flattery, flattery usually has a less than upright motive, too. That's how you can detect flattery from encouragement. So we don't want to offer uh, inappropriate flattery to people as we share the gospel with them. Not greedy, kind of the same idea. We're not doing it for sordid gain. We're not doing it for the approval of other people, right? For a pretext for greed. These are apostles. Uh, he says, God is witness, nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or others, even though as apostles we might have done that. So they're not seeking glory. They're not greedy. Um, instead, they're doing it for God and for the benefit of other people. And this is where we left off last time. Gentle and tender like an affectionate mother. And again, this, is, this has challenged me as I've thought about it this week. Um, if you could take a snapshot of faithful gospel ministry... It should look like a new mom nursing her baby. That's yelling. What does that mean? Gentle, affectionate, caring, tender. Um, are there times we have to be be you know take a stand for Christ and the gospel? Yes. Is there a time that 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 gets very intense? Yes. It, yes, it does sometimes. But, but the picture that comes to mind, the picture that Paul draws for us of faithful ministry is a nursing mom, motherly. And, um, you know, it, 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 is, <laughs> it is good for the man of God to see his need to be motherly for Christ. <laughs> Say it like that. That's an, that's an appropriate picture. That's an appropriate example to follow. We proved, verse 7, to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. These are hostile people. These are people that didn't know the gospel. A lot of them are Jews that were opposed to Christianity that converted in Paul's ministry. They're Gentiles. They don't care anything about the, the God of the Hebrews. You know, they're citizens in the, whole, in the Holy Roman Empire. They're pagan. They've got their pantheon of, of Greek and Roman gods to pick from. They've got a culture that's all wrapped around that. And Paul says, even in their ignorance, even in their idolatry, even in their hostility, I want to be gentle like a nursing mom with them as much as I can. Okay, there's a picture. Let's pick it up now. Next, giving the gospel and self, verse 8, having so fond an affection for you. Again, that, that motherly picture. We were well pleased in part to you, not only the gospel of God, 
but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. What do you think he means? We, we, we gave you not just the gospel, but our own lives. Ideas on that? Yeah, it's definitely about their testimony. What's that? Their devotion. Yeah. Uh, Someone else said something. Yeah, their time and service. You ready for this? Paul was not a hit and run evangelist. You know, you come in, boom, gospel, and he's gone. What What did he do? He comes into Thessalonica. What does he do? What's that? He lives life with them. He moves into the city. And day after day, month after month, he faithfully shares the gospel and disciples them. And um, again, I think sometimes, man, I know I'm guilty of this, where I'll be so convicted I need to share the gospel more. And so I'll look for opportunities to do that. And then I'll share the gospel. But then it's like... um, Okay, did my duty. That's not loving neighbor, is it? That's not entrusting not just the gospel, but entrusting our very lives. And, and you, you know, just being very honest with you, you know what helps me to do this and what trips me up from doing it is this thing called my schedule. I don't know what your schedule's like. Ask Lacey. Mine's pretty busy, isn't it? Yeah, pray for Lacey. She has to organize all that every week. Um, If I'm not willing to sacrifice schedule to invest in the life of somebody else that needs the gospel, I'm not being faithful to the gospel. Um, Think about that. What what, what could you do to open your home? Yeah, yeah, talk to me. Yeah. That's right. Follow through. That's right. Yeah. So we're not just seed casters. We're we're uh, tenders of the garden. Yeah, I like that. That's true. Yeah, Carl. It's really helpful for the other person if they, as a little child, are nursed more than once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they nurse more than once. Yeah. So pick that analogy. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> See you in a couple of years. No. All right. Yeah. That's true. That's yeah. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, but let's just think about that. Are we too busy? Yes. Uh, we were talking about this at our elder meeting the other night. Are, are, are we so ministry, like Grace Bible Church ministry things going on that we don't have time to like build a relationship with our unbelieving neighbor that lives across the street? We don't have time to follow up with you know, coffee or dinner with somebody because we got to run kids somewhere. And, you know, we, we shouldn't be too busy doing Christian stuff, ironically, that we can't really invest our lives in people that need the gospel. So there's a balance there. We're not saying we're going to shut the church down and not do a one or... But, but we, we need to have a balance. We need to have ministries at the church where we, we, we equip one another. That's biblical. But we need to balance that with freedom to then use our lives to invest in gospel relationships and to actually 
um, you know, know people, spend time with people. And again, not, not, we're not, not lobbing Bible bombs at them and then running away. You know, we're, we're spending our, our life with them. Uh, that's a challenge to me, and maybe it's a challenge to you, but I think that's what he's saying is we're willing not just to share the gospel with, your, with you, we, we want to share our life with you. And, and Paul demonstrated that uh, really everywhere he went where he was uh, able to do so. So he says, having so fond of an affection for you. Isn't that the key? Grandparents, do you love being with your grandkids? Do you love that? Will you take every moment you can to do that? Talk to me here. Is that true? I'm not a grandparent yet, so yeah, that's what I hear. That fond affection does what? Makes you want to have time with them. So, so I think maybe part of the key to the balance here is to say, do I love these unbelievers? Do I care about them? Do I have an affection for them? And, uh, you know, our, our time and our relationships are going to follow love and affection, aren't they? If you love somebody and you have affection for somebody, you naturally want to spend time with them. So maybe we start there. Okay, well, let's, let's take that challenge and run with it. Not burdensome. This is interesting. Verse 9, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And you are our witnesses. So, and so is God, how devotely and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you uh, believers. Okay, so just think about this. Um, the, the picture changes here a little bit. Paul's talking about how we, how he came to the Thessalonians when they were unbelievers. He talked about how he ministered to them and cared for them. And at some point, a lot of these folks trust Christ. And this little little thing called the church in Thessalonica starts and grows up. So, so now Paul is talking, he's shifting more from an evangelistic ministry to a discipling ministry where he's pouring into the lives of people that have trusted Christ and, um, and is spending time with them. But notice what he says here. Um, we worked really hard so as not to be a burden to you. You know... Um, Faithfulness in gospel ministry does not invalidate the need to work hard. And in Paul's case, he says, we kept our day jobs and our night jobs so that we didn't impose any necessary financial burden on this early church. You know, even though, like if, um, I don't know, John Piper came to town. You know, we, we'd want to we'd want to take care of him, wouldn't we? We'd want to, you know, feed him meals and put him in a hotel, and and we probably would do that. The Apostle Paul comes to town. The Silas, the Silas of the Book of Acts, comes to town. Timothy comes to town, and, and you're thinking, man, we got to take care of these guys. We, we got to put them up in the the Garden Inn overlooking the lake there, don't we? We have best of the best, and and Paul says we appreciate that, but we don't want to be a burden to you. So we're going to work, we're going to take care of ourselves, we're going to pay our own bills because we don't want to burden you for the sake of the gospel. And again, that's, that's challenging too. We, we don't want to get to a place where we think we're, we're deserving of special treatment simply because we come with gospel ministry. In fact, he says there in verse 10, You are our witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you, meaning they're living above reproach. These are good examples. You know, can I give you a... It's not a silly example. It might seem a bit weird, but, but I, I want you to know this, that, that we, 
we ought to be trying to live like this more and more and more. Um, over 10 years ago, we started a biblical counseling ministry to our community. Anybody in the community can come for counseling. Again, ask Lacey. We've never advertised. We've always had a waiting list. We've seen hundreds of people over the years. And our team of 12 uh, certified counselors in our church all give some of their time every week to help people in our community. Um, we've never charged for that. We don't charge people money for that. Now, now, if you step out in the secular world and you go for counseling, how's it work? Fee for service. It's a fee for service industry, meaning you pay a fee and you get a service. And you know what? There, there's nothing wrong with that. There's, there's lots of, we, we ought to pay for services. But when it comes to gospel ministry, when it comes to sitting down with many times unbelievers from our community who need the gospel, and we're going to use the vehicle of life problems or counseling problems to help them to see that their, their biggest life problem is that they're lost and they need to be reconciled to God through Jesus. And their marriage issues, their parenting issues, their addiction issues are just symptoms of that bigger problem. And we're going to help them to know the God of Scripture and know the person of Jesus in the context of counseling. Since that's what we're trying to do, we don't do fee-for-service. We don't charge them for that. Why? I mean, people are willing to do it. In fact, Lacey, it happens all the time, right? People offer to pay. They're like, where do I slide my credit card? No, it's free. And they're like, it's free? Why? Because we don't want to be a burden. We don't want to live less than above reproach. You know, we start charging fee-for-service. It's like... um, Skeptical unbelievers, well, what are these Christians really about? And we want them to see that what we're about is loving our Savior and loving them, not taking advantage of them financially. Um, So, again, that's one way I think we've tried to apply some of these verses that we've seen here. Again, is is it wrong to do that? It's necessarily wrong, but but it, it 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 could create suspicion. And we don't want any suspicion, any doubt, any questioning of our motives to get in the way of a gospel opportunity with somebody in our community. So we don't do that. Um, okay, so Paul said we're not, we're not a burden. We're trying to live above, repro- above reproach, uprightly, blamelessly. We behave toward you believers. Verse 11, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Now, now picture, picture the gentle mother. Pic- picture the, the nursing mother. Um, that baby's going to grow and turn into something called a creature called a toddler. (laughs) And mama's going to go, what happened? So that picture of gentleness, which is right, that picture of tenderness, which is right, doesn't mean that on occasion... Little Johnny or little Susie might not need some exhortation because toddlers think they run the universe and everything belongs to them. And anyway, so look at this encouraging and exhorting like a caring father, encouraging and exhorting like a caring father. It's interesting the language here, the words exhorting, encouraging, imploring. 
Um, th- those words have two sides to them. There's an encouragement part and there's an admonishment part. And, and you'll, if you've been a parent, you laugh because that's exactly what you do. Parenting is encouragement and it's also admonishment, isn't it? It's, it's building up to have hope and it's calling them out when they're in error and, and, uh, Encouraging them to, to choose a better way. So Paul says, we're tender, we're affectionate like a mom, but we also encourage and exhort like a faithful father. And notice this here. Who is Paul? Look back at verse 11. Who is Paul acting like a spiritual father toward? His own children. All right, his own children. And who are his own children, according to Paul? The Thessalonians. Um, do we look at one another like that? We're a family, right? And just like in your biological family, what we should see in our spiritual family is encouragement, gentleness, admonition, rebuke even. You know, I, I love you and you're going down the wrong road. C- can you see the danger you're about to go into? That- that's normal conversation in the body of Christ. But, but I think the picture here is, is the thing. The more we view one another as true family, the more I think we begin to engage in, in fatherly and motherly sort of activities uh, in regard to caring for one another. Verse 11, he says, just so you know how we were exhorting, encouraging, imploring. Again, the encouragement part, the imploring, the admonition part, just as a father would his own children. Notice the purpose, verse 12, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you in his own kingdom and glory. All of these qualities, okay, look, all of these qualities, gentle, giving the gospel, not burdensome, living above blame, encouraging, exhorting like a caring father, all of that translates all of those qualities are like a funnel, right? And the funnel comes down to that little spout. To what purpose? To what end? Why are we doing all this? Because we want to see men and women walking in a manner worthy of their calling. That's the motive, right? He says there, so you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you in his own kingdom and his own glory. That's a good question, isn't it? Um, how am I treating one another? Am I, am I striving to be Christ-like in how we care for one another, how we share the gospel with other believers? Why? Because we, we want all of that to funnel down, not in, oh, they think I'm a great person, or you know, even, even you know, effectiveness, you know, whatever you think effectiveness is. The, the goal ought to be, I'm doing this because I want to see them walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Um, that, that becomes the, the impetus, the fuel behind what we're trying to do. Now, watch this. For this reason, right, in light of everything I've just said, we are constantly thanking God. Again, look at, look at what's happening in Thessalonica. Paul says this reason we're thankful. He comes back to what he was saying in chapter 1 after spending a few minutes in chapter 2 talking about their own example. Why is he thankful? Look at this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, 
which also performs its work in you who believe. Look at this on your notes there. Look at their response to the word. They received it as God's word that performs its work. Now, um, th- this is really interesting because, again, if you're a new Christian or you know, maybe a, a, lot, a lot of the Bible is still very new to you, we talk about something called the dual authorship of Scripture. Have you heard that before? The dual author. Someone that knows what that means, give me a definition that we could all understand. The dual authorship of Scripture. Yeah, men write it, God writes it. Um, and what, what Lee means by that is God used men to actually hold a pen, write words down, but God worked in that process that what those men wrote was exactly what God wanted them to write. Um, and we won't go there right now, but Second uh, Peter chapter 1 Uh, Peter writes to his readers in a similar vein. He says, you know, there's no prophecy that a prophet writes down that just came out of their mind. They they weren't, you know, Jonah wasn't sitting there, you know, when he was in the whale. No, Uh, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses, they weren't just sitting around going, I think God would want this and write it down. It didn't come from their own uh, human mind is what Peter says. But instead... And the metaphor he uses is really interesting. He said they, they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. And you've heard sermons about this before. Moved along, it's a nautical term. It's like wind in a sail. They're being propelled and directed by a power not in themselves, right? A power other than themselves, right? Working in them and through them. And so Peter says, and they were bore along by the Holy Spirit. These men spoke from God. And that's what, that's why Paul's wound up about the Thessalonians, because these are, these are not, either, either new believers or they're almost believers, and Paul comes into the city, he shares the gospel with them, and these folks realized that what these apostles were teaching was not the word of men, but the word of God. And, uh, and notice, how did they know that it was from God and not from men? Look what it says there. What it really is, the Word of God, how? Because it performs its work in you who believe. The Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And what does it do, according to Hebrews? It pierces as far as the division of both soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and it's even able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. It's powerful, isn't it? It does stuff in you. It does the miraculous even in conversion and sanctification and encouragement. And, uh, and Paul says, you know why I'm really excited is because when you heard the preaching of the gospel, you responded to it. You, you saw past the human recipient or the, the human delivery boy to seeing this was really coming from God, and they submitted themselves to it and began to experience its wonderful work. And, you know, I think that challenges us. That ought to challenge us. We're going to go next door and uh, have some coffee maybe and settle into our favorite chair in the gym, and we're going to have a worship service, and we're going to sing, and we're going to pray, and we're going to hear God's Word, we're going to hear it preached. The question is, Will we receive it as the word of men or as the word of God? Um, can, I, can I challenge you with something that challenges me as we go next door? 
let's not let familiarity with the word keep us from receiving it for what it really is, the word of God. Just as if Jesus ascended the pulpit himself and addressed us. It's the word of God. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for these great reminders today that we would be Christ-like in how we share the gospel with others, how we invest in the lives of people, and how we do family here in our church family uh, with one another. Uh, We are encouraged and challenged by what we've read today and pray that as we looked at this list of qualities that you would identify areas that we need to strengthen as we would walk with you. And we thank you too, Lord, for the example of the Thessalonians who who received the word as the word of God, not just the word of men. They recognized its value. They saw its work. And, um, and Paul was overjoyed by that. And Lord, I pray that even though we live in a different time and season, that uh, the word of God comes to us not through the vocal, verbal, declaration of an apostle, but in the inscripturated message of these 66 books we call the Bible, that we would receive it not as the word of men, but as the word of God that performs its work. And whether we're reading it privately tomorrow morning or whether we're hearing it preached by Pastor Terry corporately here in a few minutes, that we would submit to it, that we would be excited about it, that we would buy into its message and that mostly that we would follow what it says because it is the Word of God and we want it to perform its work in us as we seek you. So give us the right heart, Lord, as we go next door and thank you for these reminders that we might walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.